Hello, guys. Welcome to our Euro Football Verdicts, our weekly podcast where we'll pass judgment on the European uh, football week uh, that passed and the one that is ahead. This one will look into our uh, continental European football, but with a southern touch. I am joined by Marco. Hey, guys. Stefano. My name is Alex, and uh, this is our first podcast uh, of the series. Let's kick it off with what happened in the past week. Stefano, what happened in Milan? All right. I'm so glad to have the chance to, to talk about the first topic ever in our first episode of the podcast. And what a, a better way to start it than uh, with the man who self-proclaimed himself as the new Benjamin Button. And of course, I'm referring to Zlatan Ibrahimovic himself. So, of course, Ibrahimovic joined AC Milan in the last January. And since then, he scored 10 goals, which for half a year and for a 38, soon to be 39-year-old, is quite a lot, in my opinion. But it's not only that. Like, uh, Ibrahimovic has had such a great impact on AC Milan that the, the team has, be, has been playing undisputably much better since his arrival. So, uh, right now, there are many discussions about the renewal of, of his contract for another year. And my main point is uh, how important actually Zlatan Ibrahimovic can be or is for AC Milan at this point. Uh, that's a good point, Stefano. It's, uh, it's quite hard to give a judgment to the renewal because uh, undoubtedly he really changed the season for AC Milan. When, when you think at where AC Milan was just January 20, uh, sorry, December 2019 so, or, or January 2020 uh, across the, 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 the end of the year, it was a completely lost team. It was... Uh, I believe even in the second half of the of the championship, uh, they so... were they were, but like in uh, November to December, they were even like uh, uh, sixth last or something yeah. like that. So such a horrible start for AC Milan this year. Yeah, precisely. And then there was a managerial change that that uh, definitely helped the players to change their mindset. But Ibrahimovic was key in in switching, uh, in, in 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 turning off that that trigger of hey, we need to do better. He has a lot of charisma. He's able yeah. to carry a team. He is well renowned between other players as well as generally speaking, like players do listen to him. He has a very strong personality. I think that really helped in changing the season of AC Milan. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I can. Uh, I would like to underline that it's not only the goals, but like he's been playing also in the midfield, trying to start new actions. So he's been such a strong personality both outside and inside the the football court. And um, so, in, uh, if you were like the managers of AC Milan, would you actually renew Zlatan's contract? To be honest, it's, it's, a, it's a, a very interesting question. I don't know. I, I feel like the, the, the Milan project is uh, the project that never restarts. You know, it, yeah. it, it's the European giant that the, the longest asleep. You know, you had the Dortmund waking up, Liverpool waking up, and somehow this Milan, you know, it's still sleeping. And... The question is, will, should you base your team in the future around uh, a 38, 39-year-old player? I don't know. I, I like the charisma. I like the way he pushes people. But isn't it uh, another way to try to save face uh, instead of you know, restarting the Milan project? Yeah, that's a very good point indeed. But also, uh, I think the discussion about his renewal of the contract uh, uh, has also shown that sometimes like the management of AC Milan has proven to be not so looking forward in the future, but rather at the present time. And by this, I mean that uh, AC Milan was going to, to change manager, and it was almost certain until a couple of weeks ago. 
But then they decided to confirm a Pioli on the match after his very strong performances uh, post-lockdown. And uh, it is pro probably because of the um, uh, confirm of Pioli that uh, eventually um, Zlatan is going to stay right. Because Milan was going to hire Ragnik as manager and probably Zlatan would not have been the perfect fit for Ragnik's uh, view. What do you think? Yeah, Ragnik definitely loves to work with youngsters. Like if we see the whole Red Bull experience in football, uh, he was a major player, if not the leader of the Red Bull revolution in football. So he started playing youngster, uh, buying them for cheap, selling them for expensive, uh, getting players that no one uh, did see as, as strong as they really were and investing in them over time, uh, creating a good team, getting Salzburg to places where, to be honest, Austrian football hasn't ever been really. Yeah. Um, so so he, he really managed to make the change. At the same time, no matter how much you want to look forward, it's also hard to fire a manager that gave you 30 out of the last 36 points. Literally, yeah. post-COVID, he was, like Milan was the team that they made the most points. It's quite hard to fire a manager like that. However, I, I, I really would like to quote what Alex said. It's, it feels like they never, they're never able to make that step, be it because of external factor, change of presidency, of ownership really, uh, be it because indeed uh, someone that you were investing to, such as Gattuso, turn out that the second season wasn't as strong as the first one, or be it because when you finally decided that, hey, I really want to change the team from inside out, the manager that you have gives us such a run of performance that it's, it's super hard to fire him. Like, no matter what would be the result next year, people would look at 30 out of 36 points as if only we were to have kept Pioli. And you couldn't claim success next year, no matter what, if you were to fire Pioli. So it's it's quite weird, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, I'm afraid that uh, everything that happened uh, has shown that, once again, that the, the lack of vision that uh, AC Milan management, unfortunately, has shown uh, in, the, in the past few years. Because like, while it is true that uh, with such strong performances, it would be uh, a waste, probably not to confirm Pioli on the bench, and, and also Zlatan on the attack, but still, you know, there was this project, uh, long-term long project with Rangnick and the new foundation of AC Milan. And this was abandoned just because of uh, a still a good, very good winning streak, but just a winning streak. So, yeah, I, I feel very um, undecided as well. Like, uh, uh, as an AC Milan supporter, from the emotional perspective, I'm so happy that Pioli has been confirmed. I'm so happy that I can still see Zlatan for, uh, for, for one more year, because that's great. And uh, I was... I was I felt very bad that he was going to leave football or at least go to, to a minor league. But, you know, uh, I also see what you mean. Like, uh, from a strictly rational and uh, programming perspective, that may not have been, like, the, um, the most, uh, possibly the best choice in the long term. Yeah. So yeah, My question also is, isn't he also somehow um, stopping the development of future stars, such as Rafael who, let's be honest, is you cannot turn him like you turn Ante Rebic, who you can put on a wing. Uh, you know, Rafael Young, yeah, he, he's fast, but, you know, he isn't the most technically gifted player. It doesn't have that. He's, he's a nine and a half to a nine, you know. He's someone who needs to be in front of goal, who needs the love and care, you know, to blossom. And isn't he, like, 
stopping his development? Because if Zlatan is there, Zlatan will play. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And there's no way Zlatan is not playing as almost every match in the next season. And I share your concern as well, because uh, I feel that Rafael Leao has such strong potential, but uh, this year he didn't really have the chance to, to explode, to, to show all of his actual skills. And I also feel that uh, he, while he has the, the power and the, the physical skills to do so, maybe uh, he lacks some concentration or maybe self-motivation. And possibly, like, uh, starting from the bench for uh, most of next year matches is not going to be the best way for, uh, for him to, to really show his true uh, strength. So, yeah, that's another concern as well, yeah. Mm. Also, like, I was wondering that, uh, uh, for instance, uh, Boban, who used to be in the upper management of Milan, uh, left uh, after a very bad argument with Gazidis, the, the CEO of AC Milan. And that was about uh, hiring Ragnik, because Boban did not share uh, Gazidis' vision in, in this sense. So that, doesn't it feel like awkward that right now, uh, even though Boban left for this reason, then they still are not going to hire Ragnik and confirm Pioli instead? Oh, that really showed the confusion that Milan has right now. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I hardly can see where they're going with. And it's not just because of Ibrahimovic or Pioli itself. It's really the whole management. So with Ragnik also, Maldini was with one feet out of the door. So he was about to leave. Now it seems that Maldini is going to stay. As you mentioned, Boban has left. Uh, there's a lot of confusion that doesn't feel like there is a clear structure in the way things are approached. Uh, and to be honest, even if you look at, at, the, at the tactical vision, right? Where is this Milan going? So the goal is Champions League. Like that was the goal that was declared uh, when uh, Gazidis came in. Yeah, However, sure. can you really, as we mentioned, Ibra is not someone that will stay in the bench. Can you mm -hmm. really expect a 39 years old to carry you to Champions League? That's well, something that we're going to have to find out, probably because Zlatan is most likely going to renew his contract eventually. And uh, yeah, I agree with the confusion. Uh, luckily, we are distant from the, the memes of the Chinese era, but still, still even now with the Elliott hedge fund, uh, still have not, are far from being settled, let's say. But uh, yeah, we are going to see what uh, happens in this, in this sense. And uh, right now, I think we can just uh, wait and move to the next topic. Yeah, that's uh, my topic. So from one of the best players that possibly is out there, or at least believes he's the best player, <laughs> To one of the manager that that it's renowned in Italy as being one of the best, uh, Conte. So, what happened? Now, imagine this situation: you have a team that after that that you make the best result since 2012, that you bring to the same amount of points as Mourinho did during the triplete. The team that during this league uh, conceded the least goals, second best uh, goal scoring team the least number of defeats. Now, you finish this season one point from Juventus that won nine leagues in a row. Now, if, if I describe this, this scenario, you would say, well, that's a very good season. Quite unlucky because you finish one point from the top, but a very good season nonetheless. For sure. What does Conte, the first thing after the last game, strongly attacks the management. Uh, and I'm quoting here. So he said, the the management is weak. I don't want to take all the hassle by myself. I don't want to be uh, the 
the, the point that where all the stress is conveyed to. He mentioned uh, directly that basically this result is coming only from the players and himself, not by the management. And during after this conversation, there was a lot of speculation of why this was coming from. Did he wanted more money for for transfer market? Did he want it just to make a strong statement? Did he want to leave? As we all know, Sarri is not in a very good position at Juventus as well. And Conte never denied that Juventus was the favorite, like was his beloved place. He was a Juventus player. Uh, he's a strong supporter of Juventus, and he probably wants to be a Juventus manager again in the future. But these. I don't know. The, the, this comment came a little bit out of nowhere. I'm not sure if any of you has any, any, any thoughts about why this came from. Where could this came from, and what could be the next step? Well, I mean, clearly he he was very uh, out uh, and about saying it's, it's not about the transfer market. So that's first one. He was very clear. He said, well, um, among many things. He, he doesn't feel the, the, the protection from the club. He gave the hint that, you know, I need to talk to the president, but he's in China. as to believe that, you know, the yep. distance of the president. So, uh, um, to be honest, uh, uh, my question here is, uh, where is Mr. Ma uh, Marotta in this? Oh, that's a good you know? point. Uh, yeah, where because is he? he's uh, supposed to, to, to be the strong man, you know, be, uh, behind him. He's supposed to be... Uh, the, the the figure of the the sporting director, you know, who who will come and uh, knock on um, uh, on the desk and say, guys, stop this, stop attacking us. You know, the team is united. And he, although it's not his style, I'll grant him that, but he's just not showing up. Yeah. So uh, Conte has to do the defense of the team. So, I, I, to be honest, I, I don't buy the whole I want to go back to Juventus situation just yet. Sorry. But I, 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 I buy that the club needs to grow up. He even mentions, you know, talking about Spalletti, uh, seeing an interview of Spalletti three years ago. And they say, well, the same problems are still there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but, you know, uh, Inter Milan's season is not over yet. Because, I mean, of course, Italian Championship is over, but there's still Europa League to play. So what kind of impact could such strong declarations have on the morale of the team and on its future results, in your opinion? Yeah, I think there, there's the two opposites, right? It either goes to a, a Mourinho-like way, in the sense that the team gets together and, and, and really becomes united, seeing enemies outside, uh, seeing like being unprotected, or you get the very opposite uh, the like scenario that can happen more like what we see right now in Barcelona just to mm -hmm. make a comparison right where the team just isn't bonded because there are people accusing each other of of being the reason why the team is not performing and then of course uh, each player will pick a side either you're on Marotta side or you're on Conte side or whatever management versus trainer whatever you want to see it uh, but there's gonna be some some kind of fall, falling apart of the of the good environment that uh, at least from outside they have created that at inter it's it's quite hard to say i think it's it's really a 50 50 for me at least alex any any thoughts on that yeah to to be the uh, i think the, the the support on the transfer market is there so we're discussing very very fine lines you know it's the difference between being second and first i think 
well, let's be honest. The start when you say they finished just one point ahead of uh, behind Juventus, it's true. But we all know it's that half the, of the story. Yes, it's half know, of the story. It wasn't really one point. You know, it might yeah. have been you know five, six, seven. But yeah, I mean, the the idea is uh, Juventus. They had many followers, but no, uh, that. You know, you had pressure from uh, Lazio at one point, you had pressure from Inter, you had pressure from Atalanta, but, you know, it kept... So it was a little uh, relaxed uh, running for Juventus. The issue here, we're, we're, we're splitting airs here. It, it's uh, He needs a bit more of structure, he needs a bit of support. So it's not like the Inter is, you know, the state of Milan, you know, uh, being uh, so far away. He just needs a bit more structure in it. Yep. Get a guy with some uh, a sporting director that knows what to do, uh, like you know, some uh, like Leonardo, for instance, who is now at PSG, was before uh, at Inter. You know, get someone with football knowledge, locker room knowledge, that is able to protect him and take some of the hits intended for the locker room. But that was what Marotta did at Juventus. If you look at Allegri's uh, period who was the speaker and who really protected the team from, from outside and was really active also in the dressing room, at least according to the, to the media, right, was Marotta. So it's quite surprising he's coming out with this, with this sentence. And if I also look at other rumors that are coming from, from insiders, you see two main things that uh, Conte is, is uh, basically claiming that the, the management didn't do correctly. First of all is that the management openly saw as feasible the league this year. Conte didn't like it. No matter how many players you buy, it's a new project. They really restructure the team, different mindset, different uh, way of playing, different players. Uh, so, so it's quite hard for for this first season to be already successful. So he wasn't really happy when they, you know, at least leave the door open for, hey, I mean, we have a good team, we might do it. He wanted to be more protected. And yes, if they were to win the Champions League, everyone would have been over, like would have overjoyed, and so on and so forth. But he wanted a little bit more protection there. Second piece is that apparently he would like to have more of a say on the transfer market. Hmm. So from the rumor that we say that we see is that, for instance, Eriksen wasn't necessarily a player he actively wanted, and we can also see it in the way he's playing him. Like you don't really have a number ten in contest structure. It's more like a 3-5-2. Uh, and Eriksen is a little bit struggling. He played in many times uh, instead of Martinez uh, as a second striker, which is not Eriksen's role. Like, Eriksen is really a number 10, like they're, like the Bruin. The number yes. 10, yes. Yes, I would say. Um, he loves to have the ball in the feet. He loves to play a lot. He loves to, uh, well, coordinate the team around him. Conte doesn't have that structure. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if what the rumors are saying, thus... Conte wants to have more of a say on the player they're buying would would be true. And it's not about the amount of players, he got a lot, but about whom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see your point. Like uh, I'm still trying to wonder like uh, if Conte was straightforward in terms of uh, what he was trying to achieve. Or maybe there's something more hidden that he was trying to cause the the, the upper management to do. I don't know. I, I feel like I, I, I don't want to say that it was a cheap attack. But still, you know, when you go public uh, against your employer to the to the press, it's always something that uh, at least looks very chaotic. Yep. It may not be chaotic in Conte's mind. Maybe it's part of his master plan to obtain more space or more protection from the management. 
but uh, but it's also a very risky move as well. And I refuse to to think that uh, a an experienced manager such as Conte does not appreciate how risky these moves these moves can be. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Mm. It's it's quite an interesting situation, and we have to see also Europa League, right? What that's gonna bring to 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 Inter. There are many rumors already at. Uh, what could happen in the Italian league? Because then you you look at the whole picture, and as mentioned before, rumors are that if Sarri doesn't win the Champions League, Sarri is out. Yeah. Then there is an empty space there. So either you get someone from outside, or if you look at the internal market, there are only two managers that could go to to Juventus: Simone Inzaghi, given what he did at Lazio, who already last year was named between the short list of of managers that could have gone to Juventus. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. So, so he he's definitely appreciated by the Juventus management, mm-hmm. and then there's Conte. Uh, at the same time, when we look at Inter, who could they get? Well, they don't seem to be too prone to Simone Inzaghi, different way of playing, too much counter attack, not the players for that, like uh, play style. So, who would be the best? Allegri. It would be quite fun, you know, having Allegri mm-hmm. again coming back after Conte. Uh, where Conte brought a team a little bit destroyed. I mean, Inter didn't do well over the past years, we all know that. Um, a little bit destroyed and getting it back to a good shape, and then Allegri takes that well-oiled machine and brings it to success. It would be quite interesting, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, still, I think it's unlikely that Conte will go to Juventus at least next year. But I, I don't think that's also like a stupid conspiracy theory as well. Like, it's a... Uh, it's also an interesting hypothesis, something that could happen. Uh, at the moment, I don't buy it, uh, like Alex doesn't, yeah. uh, but uh, but it's something that uh, might yeah. shift in, in the future, possibly. Yeah, neither do I. I think many of these are just rumors as all the transfer marks, right? So it's the agent wanting a, a player or a manager to move more than the manager itself or the management. Uh, so. Yeah. But like 99% of what we say are just rumors, so just, just bring it on with this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ah, that's the fun part, isn't it? Yes, it, it keeps it, it keeps it keeps the the spinning and it keeps us busy during the summer. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but one thing though that is not a rumor, though, uh, it's uh, uh, coming back. So this one is a certain one. It's confirmed. He's coming back. It's the second coming of Jesus. Um, well, or Judas, should I say, for some of them. Um, some of the Benfica supporters are now welcoming back their uh, manager. Uh, we're talking about Jorge Jesus, um, and the manager of, uh, until last week, uh, Flamengo, um, who won the Libertadores and the Brasileirão, is now coming back to the Estadio da Luz, the Stadium of Light. Um, so we're talking an operation that will see him the, earn 8 million grossing, 4 million net, uh, in, back in Lisbon. He's coming to a city where uh, he's a divisive figure uh, in more ways than one. Uh, back in uh, 2015, 2015-2016 um, season, he uh, moved, uh, finishing his con- six-year contract at Benfica across the street to Sporting um, and eventually moved out to Saudi Arabia, Brazil, and now finally he's back. He was once called Judas. They put a lawsuit on him for 14 million euros, saying he stole proprietary information. Everything was then rescinded, and now they paid 2 million to get him back from Flamengo. Uh, now, the question is, 
what kind of manager uh, are they bringing back? They're bringing back a winner, that's for sure. But at what cost? I mean, Guys, honestly, like honestly, with an expression such as the one he has in the picture, I don't trust him. <laughs> but <laughs> but jokes aside, uh, it's a very interesting question because I I feel like when there's a great comeback, uh, such as the one made by by Jesus. Uh, it's always like uh, you're going to find some part of the supporters that are going to be very, very happy about it. But like the other half of supporters are going to be still mad at him for uh, everything that happened before. And so they're just just going to wait for him to fail to attack him, to attack him even more. And like the, the manager has to know that. So uh, is he going to feel uh, uh, a, little, a little bit too pressured about this or is it going to thrive in that pressure is my question. Yeah, well, that's that's the interesting one. We're talking about a guy who's um, managing, just managed a club with 40 million fans. So I think pressure is something he he, he thrives on. Uh, at Benfica, he managed for six seasons. Uh, he had a 50% success rate and uh, winning the national championship, um, which isn't uh, bad. But if you if you look, the the ones who followed him also had that. You know, with Vitoria uh, yeah. in three, one, two, actually. So he was even better. Um, and Bruno Lage won one and two, so in line. So uh, the thing is, yes, he, did, he created a lot of players, great players, and but at what cost? So if, I'd like to share with you a, a small uh, insight on uh, the Benfica model. So the Benfica model is primarily focused on, on selling players. It's a bit like the, the, the Sevilla model in that sense. So if you see here um, during the days of Jesus, from 20, uh, from 09, 10 to uh, 15, 16, in terms of player sales, so obviously he's not responsible for the sum, for the sales in the summer he arrives, but sure. in the summer he lives. Uh, so he did uh, in line, so around 85, 104, and some a uh, bit below, around the 40s. But it, they had extraordinary sales, extraordinary results reaching to European finals. However, the cost of Jesus for me we, we need to, to see this in terms of uh, what kind of the net transfer. In this case, not only the sales, but the cost of the players bought. He has a very expensive taste. So he is the kind of guy who, you know, would get a, a, a Witzel for, for 10 million euros at that time in Belgium, which was uh, qu quite expensive. Um, so he, if you see now, looking at the net transfer, two of his three title wins were actually in seasons where they had a negative net transfer, meaning that they spent more on players they bought than the ones they sold. So hmm. uh, it's, he's a very expensive uh, manager in that way. That He delivers success internally. Externally, he lost to European finals, but still, he's, he's a very divisive figure, and it, he has some issues uh, regarding bringing back youth. And I'm curious to see if how... How he will be able to 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 bring this all back together in a season in which Benfica and uh, Benfica and most clubs uh, are now uh, unable to to have any matchday revenue, which in, it's around mm. twenty five percent of Benfica's revenue comes from matchday, which is around forty million. So you're losing out on forty million euros on one hand. You're having a manager that costs you eight million a year. He probably will demand. Uh, uh, a net, uh, a net, pro, uh, net transfer uh, uh, for Benfica because he needs a lot of supply. And unlike 2009, 2010, where he used to buy players for four or five million, 
for Brazil. Those same players now, as we hear from Everton, Cebolinha, it's going to cost at least 20. They're looking more to 30 million euros. Yeah, precisely. I think the last point is the most important that we have to consider. So uh, aside from COVID situation, so the new market transfer where the prices are low, clubs are not, not earning that much. I think that the situation that we're living in football is that those, those 5 to 10 million players that Jesus used to thrive on, finding them cheap, like having expensive days, yes, because for Portugal, 10 million for a player is not a cheap. Uh, the Portuguese team are not as rich as Premier League team by any means. Mm-hmm. And if you look at, 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 the, at the structure of how a Portuguese team operates, is buying cheap, selling expensive. That's why everyone put a release clauses, just to ensure that you have some leverage point and saying, no, this guy goes for 60 million, not 40. Um, but now those 5 million players are very rare. It's hard to look at them. Maybe something in the Balkans are, is still possible. Maybe some uh, smaller uh, countries in South America, but Brazil, for instance, Right now, every player goes for 20 million. There, there is no one really leaving Brazil for less than, than 20. And if you just think at the, the Chago Silva, the Pato, and, and all the others really that came from Brazil, also Hook, uh, all the others that came from Brazil to Europe, when they came to Europe were very cheap. So if you had a good connection there, you could do well. And, you know, being just now at Flamengo, you would expect he had this connection. But right now, those connections don't help. I mean, a player is still 20 million. It's going to be hard for him to get in those five-plus players that he usually likes to. I mean, we know he likes to really try a player for six months, uh, getting rid of him, buying a new one, uh, until he finds the one he likes. And then the one he likes, he's going to make a great player out of him, like no doubt. But mm-hmm. it, it's quite hard for him to find the right player for, for his game set. Yeah, it's going to yeah. be hard. Uh, furthermore, with the lower incomes uh, this year. I don't think prices are going to decrease that much because you know if you are a team and and you know this is a period you try to hold on on those players as much as you can for a season uh waiting that hopefully in january 2021 things will unlock uh you start having funds again you start having more revenues so then the next summer you can resell those players for those 60 100 million that you would have gotten last year basically yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, at the same time, and on the other side, I think that uh, after all that happened, the, the rules of financial fair play have, will have to be softened a little. And I'm not only referring to the uh, COVID situation, which of course has impacted uh, every single team in the world, but also like uh, about what happened with the Manchester City judgment in, in Lausanne. Like it feels like that the financial fair play is losing some credibility around here. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's to be honest, it's something that uh, we've seen um, over the last couple of years. We've seen even some um, some teams like Porto, for instance, being intervened by UEFA and being slapped with uh, the uh, max that you can spend. So now, you know, teams will start to, to wonder, well, uh, if they got away with it, why can't we? Which, you know, might come back to, to, to bite us in the way that we'll have teams putting more on the line. And and that's that's the way I can see. That's why I'm worried, despite being from the other side of the street in Lisbon, but a bit worried about the situation of Benfica in this in this instance. So they're losing away the the match day revenue, and uh, let's be let's be honest here. Uh, the Benfica was from the the Greek three in Portugal, the only one who who didn't um, enter any agreement to reduce the salaries of the players during the COVID space. Um, so. 
no, there they didn't save. Now they're getting an eight million a year uh, manager who's able to sell players, but also needs to buy them. Uh, the question is, yeah, it, it, are they not biting more than they can chew despite the COVID, the, the uh, relaxation of the f- uh, financial fair play? Yeah, like in this perspective, it almost sounds like an, uh, an all-in strategy, like uh, something that could work and he might be very strong next year with the team. But that if it doesn't, uh, it's uh, just going to worsen a lot the situation of Benfica. I think it's try- really trying to sell a dream. I mean, uh, it's mm. uh, let's be honest, Jesus was amongst the best time in the past 10 years. I mean, they, we were coming from a very strong Porto. Uh, it took a couple of years to really get to the point where he was leading the team to success. But at the end of Jesus' spell in Benfica, they did quite well. Uh, as we already mentioned, a couple, like, couple of leagues, a couple of... Europa League finals, I mean, the curse is still on Benfica, so he couldn't win them, but he got the team there. So it, it's yeah. still good, right, for the players, for the fans, etc. So yeah. I think they're really pursuing this dream of let's get back to the old shape like, where we're, we were regarded as one of the best European teams, uh, nonetheless. Uh, and, and let's try to get there. And to be honest, it's quite good in Europe, I believe, like in in in, in um, continental cups. I mean, we saw it right now in Brazil, but we also saw it at Sporting. Uh, despite the fact he didn't manage to qualify in the Champions League group, I believe that uh, the performance that he pulled out of the team was was extraordinary. I mean, uh, all the critics were saying that they dominated Real Madrid twice, that they 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 were expected, like given the quality that the team showed, they should have won many games. And it's, he was quite unlucky there, right? So I think he's good at getting good performance for team. Uh, but indeed, it's 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 quite uh, playing a lotto in, in this situation, getting such an expensive manager now that you've done him. Plus, it's with uh, yeah, being unable to buy that many and being unable to sell. I mean, last year they sold uh, João Felix for uh, over 100 million. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. That would have been, quote unquote, a good year to get Jesus back. Here, 80 million out of them, 100 play with it. You know, this year you won't be able to do those sales. Yeah, yeah, but to be honest, they still uh, ended it with a net profit of uh, over the, the value that they got for for, um, for Jean Felix. So they ended above the 120 mark last yeah. year. So they still have a bit of money to spend. Just, you know, I don't know how, how I think I think they'll have money to do what they want to do this year. But what if, you know, yeah. what if in the qualifying phase now, because they finished second, what if they don't get to the Champions League? Well, that's yeah. another 20, uh, 30 million flying. What if the, he doesn't win the league? You know, that's yeah. a lo- it's an all-in. They're taking advantage of Porto, who will have to sell a lot of players. We're even discussing Alex Telles, which is one of the best left-backs in the world. He sold for 25 million euros because Porto needs the cash really fast. But... What if? Yeah. And that's that's the kind of questions and that are staying in Lisbon. Some uh, others to be answered that might arrive to Lisbon are regarding what's happening next Friday and Saturday. We're talking about the Champions League. The Champions League will be back to uh, our screens. Uh, we have very, very interesting games ahead. Now remember, the games are going to take place as scheduled uh, in uh, on Friday, you'll have Juventus playing against Lyon after losing the one, uh, the first leg uh, 1-0 uh, in Lyon. 
Uh, also, at the same time, at uh, uh, 9 p.m. Central European time, we'll have Manchester City welcoming uh, Real Madrid at, in this case, the empty hut. Uh, well, <laughs> but it, isn't, be, isn't it always like this? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, sometimes more than others, but this time for sure it will. Um, we'll have on Saturday, uh, basically just tying up some loose ends. Bayern will welcome Chelsea at the Allianz Arena in Munich. And finally, also on Saturday, Napoli will have the pleasure to visit uh, Barcelona to uh, see where they'll stand after the 1-1 draw of the first leg. Guys, what's going to happen? Let's start in Turin. Cristiano Ronaldo against the mighty Lyon. What is happening? A team uh, full of stars against a team that was on holidays. Yeah. I don't know. I, I really struggle to see after this long from the last game that you played. And no matter, yes, they played the the League Cup final uh, last week. They did this, did a good performance, but they had to play 120 minutes. And I think on, you know, not fit uh, players, like not match fit players, playing 120 minutes will pay at all. And uh, it might just be a little bit of muscle sore, but I don't think that Lyon is in the right position to play this Champions League. And the same will apply for PSG, really. I do see Juventus coming back from the from the 1-0. And it's it's really due to the simple quality, like the mere quality of the players. I mean, Ronaldo can can shot from 30 meters and, and, and pull a goal. Uh, Dybala has shown the whole season that he can make worthies. And, and he just won the player of the season in Serie A, showing... Uh, what what a season he had and 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 how he really managed to step up step up compared to the past years. I really see Juventus coming back from the 1-0, uh, be it in the in the regular time or being in the extra time. But to be honest, I would be quite surprised if if Juventus will fail this. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you, Marco. Actually, because I mean, uh, while Lyon will still have the psychological advantage of knowing that they won 1-0 the first uh, the first leg of Bracht, still like uh, you know like. Players, especially like Ronaldo, thrive precisely in these types of matches. Like uh, it is uh, their match usually, and uh, it is also true that Juventus has, pro- has been playing more than Lyon in the last uh, few few matches because, of course, the French Championship uh, uh, ended up. Uh, how, how long ago was that actually? How long ago was it? I think. Uh, Eight weeks, I believe, the last Eight, yeah. time they played. Yeah, about uh, two months. So that's going to have a very, very strong role, I think. And, uh, and so, yeah, I see the coming back of uh, Juventus as well. Okay, so you two guys, your verdict is clear. We're going to go with uh, Juventus win. I will join you guys on this one. I think just uh, the form difference is, is going to be abysmal. You don't play the... The other day, the, the League Cup final against uh, PSG. But let's be honest, one uh, game doesn't bring anything. So I think it will be a um, win for Cristiano and co. Also, and they will overturn the result of the first leg. And from Turin, let's then take an easy jet to uh, Manchester. What is going to happen at the Etihad? Or Etihad, if you want to go back to it. Um, what are we going to be able to... To see there, um, are we going to see the Real Madrid coming back, or are we? Uh, is City going to be able to defend the two-one lead brought from uh, uh, Santiago Bernabéu? I think actually the Real Madrid coming back uh, is going to be happening, and uh, 
Of course, I respect very much Guardiola as a manager. He has such strong performances in many different uh, top European teams. But still, you know, you have to also respect uh, Zidane's experience in the in the Champions League. Like uh, he won three Champions League, which is something really crazy. And uh, and also um, Real Madrid won the the Spanish Championship as well. So they they proved to be a, a very strong team this year, and to have maybe recovered from the loss of Cristiano Ronaldo that happened uh, last year. So even though they they are they lost two uh, one in, in the first leg of the bracket, uh, I I actually think they can make it. So yeah, uh, we have two teams, right? On one hand, you have the team where probably the most expected Ballon d'Or, Benzema, uh, yeah. by many appointed as who should have gotten the Ballon d'Or this year, uh, is playing, and and the manager that over the past three four years has proven the best European football in the world. Indeed, three Champions League are. You, you don't win through Champions League randomly. Yeah. However, I don't know why, but I really feel that Manchester City is going to win this one. It's a team that has struggled the whole season, but Guardiola knows what he's doing. The players are of absolute quality. Uh, it's undeniable. We do see how in the Premier League, indeed, they didn't ever really put uh, a challenge to, to Liverpool. But I don't know why I have the feeling that... Um, I mean, it's it's they're playing in Manchester, right? And and they won already won the first leg. I think Guardiola can manage such a result. He really mm-hmm. likes the tiki tack. I really like the short passes. I don't know why. I have the feeling Manchester City is gonna is gonna save this one. Probably it's something like a one-one, you know, a draw, and 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 winning based on on the first result. I gotta go for Manchester City with this one. That's my verdict. Very very nice. Okay. And what's your timer, Marco, for the for the verdict? Maybe maybe next time. <laughs> That's something he has to work on. Um, I <laughs> will side with Stefan on this one. I think it's uh, European nights by the floodlights, Real Madrid. It's, it just sounds like I've seen this picture way too many before. Yes, they had the number seven to support them, and now they won't. But still, you know, uh, Zidane has been one, done wonders with Karim Benzema, um, as Mark well put, uh, making him a Ballon d'Or contender, which, you know, two, three years ago, we would have laughed at this statement. Yeah. Um, and so I think it will be one of those nights, you know, uh, of, for Real Madrid, uh, despite uh, all the challenges that they face, if I'm not mistaken, even Sergio Ramos won't be able to give his contribution to the uh, Madrileños. So let's see how it ends. But I, my verdict is uh, going to agree with Stefano. And I think Real Madrid will uh, get another flight to Lisbon. Uh, from one Ballon d'Or contender to the other, uh, at the Allianz Arena, Lewandowski and uh, his colleagues from Bayern Munich will uh, defend a 3-0 lead from uh, Chelsea in the, uh, that they brought from Stamford Bridge. Uh, I'll kick off you guys with my verdict, and I think it will be unanimous. It's nice. It will be nice. But that's over. 3-0, it's a lot of baggage for a team as professional as Bayern Munich. It's a German's machine. They, they are not very uh, flamboyant, but they will not make mistake after mistake after mistake. In Germany, sorry to add this. Uh, I fully quote every single word. I don't see this happening. Chelsea doesn't even have the, the players to really pull three magical tricks out of, of the hat, really like 30 uh, meters uh, shots that, that just go in the corner of the net. 
I don't think they are this kind of team this season. They couldn't really do transfer market this season. It's a transition season. Everyone knows. Uh, a decent result in the league nonetheless. So I, I think they got what they wanted out of this. Uh, they got to the to the Champions League uh, elimination stage. That's it. I don't think that they are either expecting or the, anyone was really expecting anything more from their, uh, from this, this spell. And they won't. Yeah. I, I don't expect the change of the result. Yeah, I got really nothing to to add to this. I I totally agree with you. I I person simply don't uh, don't see this happening. Very very well. So let's uh, then go to sunny Barcelona. Well, uh, we expect it's going to be in sunny Barcelona. Still not full confirmation that the game will take place in Barcelona since Napoli won intended to protest and uh, have the game transferred to Lisbon directly uh, due to the COVID situation that is um, slightly out of control in uh, La Ciudad Condal. Um, in Barcelona, we'll uh, play against Napoli. 1-1 was the result at the San Paolo. Uh, what say you in the case of uh, Barcelona v Napoli? I have a strong opinion about this. I think that uh, Barcelona in the past couple of months show that it's not the the well um, how can I say old machine that it used to be uh, there are a lot of players going against each other Messi has had quite strong opinions that also have been shared with the media uh, rumors are that he even might leave Barcelona and we know how important is Messi not just in the dressing room but generally speaking in the idea of of, of what is the playing style of Barcelona uh, uh, apparently they have plenty of injuries, they're only going to bring 12 players from the senior squad and they're going to fill the bench with eight youngsters. Uh, so they can't even, you know, have that change of players after these very hectic months of, uh, of post-Covid where they had to play every three games. That's not going to be easy for, for players to sustain, again, a high-level football for 90 minutes, possibly extra time. Uh, I really see Napoli getting this back uh it's more if napoli can get that early goal i think they they have a paved road uh, underneath them it's really about barcelona uh getting a little bit in panning mode we're gonna lose this one uh the draw in the first leg does help for napoli mentally uh they know they have to score one goal and uh, but that goal if if that was to be scored i think that that would be the end of barcelona so i'm gonna go for napoli for this one yeah, I feel rather undecided about this one, but uh, if I really have to choose, which I think I do, I'm probably going to go with Barcelona, actually. Because even though you made very good arguments, I think, uh, still, like, the the superiority of Barcelona's team as individual players rather than a team uh, at this point uh, uh, can probably still make the difference. And also, uh, while it is true that the Camp Nou will be empty, which is something that you don't uh, witness very often, Still, I think that uh, Napoli players uh, can play the can pay for the lack of experience in the Champions League, and maybe against uh, uh, such a strong team with such a strong history, such as Barcelona, perhaps they're just gonna feel too pressured and maybe not perform as well as they could. But uh, if I have to argue on the other side, I would say that uh, Gattuso can be a very good manager in this sense to motivate his players to to keep on uh, fighting and uh, trying to achieve their their result. So it will definitely, I, I'm expecting, uh, I'm not expecting a one-sided match. I'm expecting a very good match to, to watch. Yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting what the donkeys are going to do at uh, the Camp Nou. I must admit, 
I'm, I think, on the side of the team from the San Paolo in this one. I think they will have uh, that grinta, that uh, willingness to to give the extra that Barcelona does not have. I think they are deflated. We've seen it by their um, league contention with uh, Real Madrid, where they had a huge advantage, uh, and they let it slip. They seem unmotivated. They seem like they just want to get over with this season and and they seem like it's one once and for all just want to restart reboot and get uh, and get the uh, situation going napoli is coming in hungry they're coming in strong in one off games the reno as you can show them you know as you show there that guy he can motivate anyone you know so i think i think it's going to be is going to be a um as a goal uh, a goalful uh, draw for for Napoli or a Napoli win that will take this uh, home to for them to be able to travel uh, to Lisbon and join the uh, remaining teams in the quarterfinals where we already know that uh, Red Bull Leipzig, uh, Atletico Madrid, uh, Atalanta and PSG are have booked their tickets. The other remaining four will decide this weekend. So guys, uh, we've come to an end of our uh, first. Uh, podcast. The Euro uh, Football Verdict is uh, was our first uh, podcast. This uh, allowed us to have our first um, um, our first experience, uh, giving our opinions, our verdicts, sharing with you uh, what happened and what's going to happen in the world of continental European football. I want to thank my two co-hosts, Stefano and Marco. Thank you so much for all your uh, experience and your verdict. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks, guys. And fact, thanks especially to those who managed to hear to us until the end, because you have to be very, very brave for that, and I respect it. <laughs> and uh, thanks a lot for listening. We are very happy to, to start this uh, new podcast. And uh, there's going to be a lot of content, hopefully, coming in the next uh, few weeks. Yeah, and that is it, guys, from us. Uh, on our first podcast. See you guys next week where we'll review the games that uh, happened on the remaining um, last 16 of the Champions League and preview what is ahead for our special Champions League finals that is going to take place in Lisbon. See you guys. See you. Bye, guys.